0: Okay, so uh, maybe I can briefly state the question that uh, I'm giving a response to. Uh, The question is from the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Uh, Somebody asked the question to one of our saints about... Uh, these scriptures, it appears as if Jesus is clearly a separate or distinct entity from the Father. And so I'm just addressing this and will show that actually there is no uh, difference at all. So let's begin in John 5, 17, actually, it says, but Jesus answered them. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. So if we begin with this first scripture here, Jesus is saying that the father is working, and he also is working. And then in verse 18, we read, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So this context is very important. Notice what John is saying in the next verse. Uh, Jesus was not only saying that God was his father, but the way they understood this was he's making himself equal with God. Now, let's continue because it's only by reading, it's a whole conversation that is going on here, that, uh, and, and we will see the revelation coming. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. I will pause here because I think the answer is here in this verse. Let's read it carefully. Jesus is saying, The Son can do nothing of Himself. I'll repeat it again. The Son can do nothing of Himself, does this not clearly imply that the Son has no separate existence of His own? Because remember what the Trinity doctrine is saying. It's saying that the Father is Almighty, the Son is Almighty. It's like they're all Almighty independently. But Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying he can do nothing. The son, the flesh, the flesh and blood aspect can do nothing of itself. So clearly, the son is not outside of the father. So now take this verse in verse 19 and uh, interpret the rest of the scriptures in light of this verse. And then everything makes sense. So when Jesus is saying, my father worketh hitherto and I work, that means there is somebody working in this body of Jesus. It's not working by itself. If Jesus would say that he was working by himself, then we are talking about two distinct persons. But that is not what he's saying. The son can do nothing of himself. This statement contradicts the doctrine of the Trinity, very clearly. Because the doctrine of the Trinity focuses on the distinctions between the three. It it uses a lot of words to uh, ascribe independence, power, equality to all three members of the Trinity. But this is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Son can do nothing of himself. So we have a son who is powerless. How does that make sense? How can we interpret that? Well, we saw that on the cross. When he gave up the ghost, that is the Father, all you have is a body which is lifeless. Without the spirit, Jesus Himself, the prophet, the flesh profits nothing. And it's for that reason, by the way, that we are very careful to just call the body God without the spirit. Yes, it is the flesh of God. But what do we mean when we say God? God cannot be a lifeless body which can do nothing of, it, of, it, of, it, of himself. When we are speaking about God, we must understand today God is spirit, flesh, and blood. How? The spirit aspect is the father the flesh and blood are of the word that is in the father that word was made flesh and the father who is spirit lives in this flesh that's why paul said in him dwells the fullness dwells the fullness of the godhead body if we continue with this understanding everything else makes sense but the problem is the trinitarian will not explain to you what verse 19 means because they don't believe in a Jesus who is not uh almighty means who can do everything separately they believe in a Jesus who can do everything independently of the father but that's not what Jesus is saying he's making it clear the son can do nothing of himself it's very clear so the only explanation that makes sense is you know, we can use an analogy of ourselves. If my spirit leaves me, my, my body can do nothing by itself. You know, if my parents want to call me son, it's mainly because of the flesh aspect. So once we understand it in this sense, we will, everything makes sense. The one God doctrine makes perfect sense. There is one God with one spirit, one flesh, one blood. Amen. And we call him Jesus. So let's continue. The next verse 20. For the father loveth the son and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. This is not speaking about two persons who are distinct. (laughs) This is speaking about one who is dependent on the other. That is the correct way to interpret it if we are going to be objective. Because the Trinitarian model is equality. But there is no equality here. The one God doctrine doesn't talk about equality between two or three persons. We don't even use the term persons. We just say one God, one person. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews 1, it speaks about one person. He's the express image of his person, the Bible says. So the Father loves the Son. That means the Father loves his flesh. And through that flesh, He does everything that you may marvel. Why do they marvel? Because they're shocked that through a body, through this man, Christ, Jesus, the power of the Father is demonstrated. Verse 21, For as the Father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. In other words, the father is now in that body. It's not that the father has somehow relinquished, given up his authority to somebody else. No. He is still the father. He is Emmanuel. But now he does what he used to do before through this body. That's why I said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. In other words, God, the father, is now in that body, speaking through that body, judging through that body, healing through that body. That body cannot do anything by itself. So this contradicts again and again the doctrine of the Trinity. When we continue, verse 23, that all men should honor the son even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Again, this is clear. It's just that Jesus is now uh, basically listing all the things that are normally done for the Father. They are to be done to the Son. So in this way, he's showing that since now the Father is not independent of that body, he's in that body, Whatever you want to do to the Father, you have to do to to the Son. Because in so doing, you are honoring the Father. Because the Father is in that flesh, not outside that flesh. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto he that heareth my word, believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He goes on, verse 25 Verily, verily I say unto you, the hour is coming now, is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Right here, you see, Jesus is listing all the attributes that belong only to God. And now he comes to the day of judgment and eternal judgment. And in verse 26, he's saying, The Father's life now is in the Son. So, you see, on the cross, the Father left the flesh, which shows if the Son had his own life, which is independent from the Father, the Son would still continue to live. So why did the Son die? Because the Son has no life outside the Father. That's why Isaiah 9, 6 says the Son, one of the names of the Son is the everlasting Father. Jesus is saying he can do nothing of himself. The life that is in him is the life of the Father. We see it on the cross. So when we say the Son has life in himself, that life is the life of the Father. That the Father granted to that flesh. Verse 27, had given him authority to execute judgment also because... He's the Son of Man. Here, Son of Man is referring to the judge of humanity, judge of human beings. Then he goes on, uh, marvel not at this, the eyes coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. If you go to verse 30, notice this is the second time Jesus is repeating that he is helpless outside of the Father. I can of mine own self do nothing. Uh, To me, it's so clear. I know everybody has their time when they get their revelation because once you study the doctrine of the Trinity, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Constantinople, and you read about the volumes of books that they wrote where they're trying to attribute or ascribe equality to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Ghost. They labor so much to make them equal that none of them are less than the other. But when you look at what Jesus is saying, in 10 verses, twice he repeats, I can of mine own self do nothing. The complete opposite of what the doctrine of the Trinity has come up with. Jesus is telling us straight, he's talking about the relation of the Father to that flesh. The flesh is the son in this context. Sometimes we need to know when he says son, is he speaking about the father in the flesh as one? Or is he now trying to show us the distinction? If you want to use that term, the only distinction there is, is between the spirit and the flesh, not between two gods called God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy ghost. Because the Bible makes it clear, the greatest of all commands, which we cannot change is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If anybody wishes to uh, do any explanation, exegesis of the Bible, you have to begin with that verse. We can't leave that verse. It's a sin. It's dangerous. So the only template that makes sense is what I'm speaking about now, which is the one God template. And it is saying, basically, repeating verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. You know, the Trinitanian world and one of their councils, the Seventh councils decided Jesus, there were two wills in Jesus. The human will and the divine will. And then there is the Father's will. So there are three wills. But listen to what Jesus is saying. I, he said, he has only one will. The will of the Father. So, when we continue, uh, the other verses are not speaking about that, but verse 36, I have greater witness than that of John. The works which the Father had given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father had sent me. So, he made it clear, all his works, his judgment, his power is from the Father. And the Father is not outside of him. We know this because In John chapter 14, Jesus told the apostles that from now he said, you know the Father and have seen the Father in verse 7. And Philip said, show us the Father. It's sufficient for us. And in verse 9, he said, have I been so long time with you? Have I? And yet hast thou not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus made it plain very clear that He is the Father. The Father is in Him. You can't see the Father except through the flesh. Because how how do you see God who is everywhere with our human eyes? It's impossible. All we can see is the Father's flesh and and know that the Father is in Him. So if we go on uh, verse 43, I am come in my Father's name. Isn't that interesting? So what is the father's name? The father's name is Jehovah. And the name Jesus came with is Jehovah has become my savior, Yehoshua. So he didn't come with a new name. He came with his father's name. He came with his father's name to save. And if we go down further, verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuses you, even Moses. So if we stop there, I think the sum total of what uh, Jesus is saying in these verses is clear. There is really no way that one can say this is a Trinitarian model. Even if I try my best to really be generous to the Trinitarian view, Jesus is not saying making himself equal. To be equal means that he is another person. Then we speak about equality. We don't speak about equality when we're talking about one person. I can't say, I am equal to me. It doesn't make sense. So what Jesus is speaking about is the relation of the flesh to the spirit. Twice he said, I can of mine own self do nothing. What does that mean? It's not God the Son speak, about God the Father because the Trinitarian model doesn't permit it. The Trinitarian model is clear from Constantinople that the three are co-equal. So if they are co-equal, why is Jesus saying, I can of myself do nothing? Clearly, the Son is making it clear that he's subordinate to the Father. To say he's subordinate is uh, totally against the doctrine of the Trinity. That's why Uh, Trinitarians consider today the writings of Tertullian one of the church fathers who gave us the doctrine the name Trinitas to be heretical, false because although he invented the term Trinitas he said the son is subordinate to the father and later the Trinitarians rejected this they said he's a heretic a false doctrine because they believe Jesus is God the son he's equal he has his own spirit he has his own everything he's distinct He's not the father. So they made them equal. But the scriptures are not saying that. John is not saying that. The Italian can say what he wants. The council of Constantinople can say what it wants. But John is saying that Jesus said. And he was a true witness. He was there. And he goes on later even to say, not only did Jesus say, I can of my own self do nothing twice. But he said, the father is in me. And I'm in the father. The words I speak to you, I speak not of myself. The Father that dwelleth in me. So we've got to understand the correct model. There is somebody dwelling in Jesus who is talking, doing all these works, telling people, "Your sins be forgiven thee." Who is this person? The Father. Hallelujah. And the Father is not separate from His body. The Father is one now in His body. Hallelujah. This is a powerful revelation. It's really the ultimate. Revelation. <laughs> this is the ultimate truth which uh, which will dominate the earth. The Bible says it will cover the earth like the seas cover. In that day there shall be one Lord, his name shall be one. Zechariah 14.9. It doesn't say in that day there will be three Lords and his name three. So which who is the one Lord? In heaven there is one God. In John uh, Revelation 14, uh, 4 verse 1 and 2. It's clear. Everything has to fit that model. What Jesus is trying to tell these people is because, see, understand the audience that Jesus is dealing with. This audience really could never envisage. They were they, they just were incredulous. They can't believe that the Father has chosen to manifest himself in flesh because they grew up with Jesus. They know everything about him. They thought. We know what Luke said. As as was supposed. He was the son of Joseph. So so, so for him to now say that. He is not just only a great prophet. Or that he is an angel. He's claiming to be the father himself. This is. What is going on. (laughs) That's why he's trying to explain to them. Because they are shocked. That's why he told them marvel not. I know you are shocked, but please listen to me, Jesus is saying. He cannot deny himself. And even the Father spoke from heaven for their own sakes. This is my beloved son, hear ye. him." This is the stone, the stumbling stone, which the builders rejected. And they stumble upon the stone. So the whole dialogue, this whole discourse here it's really about one thing. Jesus is trying to be accommodating, patient. This is a pedagogy of love, a teaching of love. God is not in the business of just shocking people for no reason and then judging them. That's why he spent 33 years with them, to prove to them, because it's a shocking thought that this man walking in our midst is the father himself. But that's why he did those works. That's why he raised the dead. That's why he shook the whole of Israel. He did what only the father could do. And when they came to him again and again asking, Who are you? In other words, look. No one else can do these works. That's why Nicodemus said, No one else except God is with him. Jesus told him, My friend, it's not only God is with me. That he is God. That's what is the issue. Nicodemus is hesitant. So, this is a powerful thing we are talking about. It's what causes Satan to tremble. And we we thank God. We are so privileged. We are so blessed that we can believe this. I was sharing just uh, two three days ago at my university with my colleague who is a professor. I knocked on his door. We were talking and then I began to give him my testimony. And he was listening to everything. He was asking me, so, so what made you believe Jesus is God? And I told him the same thing. I I come from a Muslim background. It was blasphemy for me to believe a man is God. But when I sought God, and I saw Jesus in this out-of-body experience, there's no doubt for a second that this is God. We say, how do you know? I just knew. No discussion. His majesty, his love, his power. I'll tell you what, you know when you meet God. And the apostles knew they met God. They, they did not mince their words. That's why John is trying to explain how Jesus is the father, but he accepted it, no problem. But the Jews were fighting. That's why Jesus said, why is it you don't understand? Because you're of your father, the devil. Is. So unless the devil is challenging us, stopping us, we should see clearly Jesus is the father. Amen. Because God is one. Even Jesus said it. Yeru Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus never claimed to be another God beside the Father. He didn't accept that kind of words or honor. He claimed to be the same God. Because he let them, he told them when they asked him plainly, show us the Father. How much plainer can a person get? He was shocked. He actually replied with a question. In other words, have I been so... How long does it take you guys to understand that he's the father? That's what he's asking. So, these verses we just read, to come back to them, uh, sister, uh, in fact, to me, they are the ultimate proof of this doctrine of the Wanga. In fact, when you read Bishop Tekla book, The Bible Writer's Theology, he keeps stressing these verses from John itself. (laughs) Where he keeps showing the son can do nothing of himself. The, uh, you must understand uh, the Trinity doctrine does not believe that. They believe Jesus is almighty, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty. That's what they keep saying. And uh, uh, if you read the Apostolic Creed, which came many many centuries later after the uh, the uh, Con- Council of Constantinople, they really are working hard to make all three. Co equal, co eternal. That means from the beginning they're co equal. So if from the beginning the Father, Jesus, the Holy Ghost are co equal, why is Jesus saying the Son can do nothing of Himself? Why? It's a contradiction. So that model does not work. The only model which works is that Jesus is speaking about His flesh. There was a time that flesh did not exist, that flesh was dependent on the Father. The Word was made flesh. Amen. The flesh did not one day decide to become flesh. It didn't exist. It began with the Father. The Father decided that His Word will become a body. And He entered into His own body. He does whatever He wants to do with His own body. This is what Jesus is saying. Amen. So, I often, we should be careful with analogies and metaphors, but I've always said it to me, it's like, uh, you know, if there's a body, it's like a jacket I'm wearing, if I remove it, that jacket can't move. Why is the jacket moving? Because I'm wearing the jacket. There is something moving. The flesh of Jesus is The vehicle of the Father. It's His Word that He's speaking through. In the Old Testament, God only spoke through His Word, which was invisible. In the New Testament, He made His Word flesh and blood, and He is now using it to speak to people. He lives in that flesh. God always lived in His Word, but His Word was invisible. But now He made His Word a body and he entered that body. A body has thou prepared me. And Jesus is saying, the Father speaks through me. He does what he wants to do. That's why the Father said, in him I'm well pleased. That means whatever the Father wants to do, he does through that flesh. He prayed for us in Gethsemane through that flesh. He commanded Lazarus to come back from the dead through that flesh. He is one with that flesh. You cannot separate the father from his flesh. Even worship. Anything you do to God, you have to do it in the name of Jesus. That is why in heaven every knee shall bow to Jesus. Otherwise, we are not honoring the father. So, once we understand this model, I shouldn't use the word model because we don't have that in the Bible, but I, for lack of a better word, you see, once we understand that this body is the Father's and the Father has will to do these things, if we don't honor Jesus, we are provoking the Father. The Father gets angry. That's what it says in Psalms chapter 2. Because the kings of this earth want to separate the two. That's what King Constantine wanted to do. He called together all the bishops and he told them, let's make a doctrine of Trinity, basically. He blessed it. The father gets angry when somebody tries to separate his flesh, his son from him. So this is not about thinking that Jesus was trying to, because then the Trinitarians have to explain to us, why will Jesus say, That the father is in him. When we ask them. Is Jesus the father? They say no. So why then does he say. The father is in me. Look. He's saying. If you have seen me. You've seen the father. I've always said this. I cannot tell you. If you have seen me. Brother Paul. You have seen my father. My father looks nothing like me. And he's dead. Jesus is the only person who can say, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, because they are one and the same. Hallelujah. When we say Jesus, we are actually saying the Father in the flesh, the Father in his body. So this is a very mighty, powerful revelation. Just talking about it, uh, I feel the presence of God powerfully. This proves this is, you know, when Jesus was speaking, the apostles on the road to a mouse, their spirit was burning. I can tell you, I have believed in the Trinity in the beginning. I have believed in uh, uh, oneness that the UPC teaches. None of those used to bless me until I got the full revelation, what I'm speaking to you now. And then my spirit bubbles over each time. It's like the spirit of the the Father who's Jesus is telling me, yes, hallelujah, amen, praise God. God himself is happy and saying amen, hallelujah. So I'm saying this, I know. I'm uh, preaching here, but uh, let's be frank. I mean, ultimately, we explain the word of God, but we also persuade people. We are persuading you. Believe in one God. Do not believe in something which is not in the Bible. God is one. He's never changed that. Only the devil changes the fact that God is one. God and the apostles and the prophets Always uphold the one God doctrine. How do we know? Moses preached it. The prophet said God is one. And Matthew, Luke, Mark, they all preached that Jesus himself said God is one. So who is in the business of making God more than one? It's the devil. I'm not saying it's the Trinitarians. They're not the devil. They are human beings. They're brothers and sisters, I can say, in, in the sense that everybody is my brother and sister. It's the devil who is multiplying gods and trying to divide God. So we must fight that in Jesus' name. We must tell people, no, God is one. Amen. It's a sin to divide God. It's a sin. That was the first sin committed by Satan. He wanted to be equal with God. No one can be equal with God. God says, what will you compare me to? So Father, Son, Holy Ghost, no. We are not comparing. We can't compare. What we have to say is, God is one. Amen. For us, there is only one God. The Bible never says God is three. Or there is a triune God or Trinity. No. We must resist such language. We must always bless and uphold and praise the language of the Bible. Use language that God loves. So when they're trying to separate, we never use the word separate, distinct. We say God is one. God was manifesting the flesh. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead body. Hallelujah. A child is given, a son is born. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Praise God. These are This is our language. This is the language of the Bible. If we take care of this doctrine, we will never go astray. For doctrine, we must be ready to lay down our lives in Jesus' name by His grace. We will challenge, we will stop anything which challenges the true doctrine. I mean, it's too powerful. It's wonderful. So, I know I'm preaching again. It's been long. But uh, we have to, at times, uh, come back to our foundation. Our foundation is always Jesus Christ. See, notice what Paul said, yeah? In uh, uh, Ephesians uh, 3, was it uh, 2.20? Very powerful. Let's let's look at the scripture, Ephesians 2 and verse 20. Uh, Let me share the screen also. Uh, Listen to this. Because... This, we don't normally use it in this sense, but let me explain and you will see what I'm trying to say. Let's look at it. It says here, and you can look at the screen here. It says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Listen, the prophets preach one God and the apostles preach one God. And now Paul is saying, Jesus Christ is that one God that the apostles and the prophets were preaching. Why? Because he is the chief cornerstone. There is only one building and every building has only one cornerstone. One God in that building. One foundation. So all the prophets, apostles and all the other stones pointing to that one stone called Jesus Christ. We don't have any other uh, foundation stone. Amen. So thank you, Sister Hymenoth, uh, uh, for raising this question. I know it's for the benefit of others, and, uh, but we also benefited when we come back again and again to uh, the doctrines that we hold so dear, praise God. And this is definitely the ultimate, the foremost, the first of all the commandments. Amen. We believe even when Jesus is speaking, he's crying. Remember what I said earlier? He's speaking to a people who cannot believe. The father is in him, that he's the father. That's why he's trying to reason with them. And say, because he's trying to show them that it's not the flesh, but it's what's in him. And is one with him. That is important. He's trying to make it clear to them that on the day of judgment, they're going to be meeting him. There will be no other God. They will see. That's what he's trying to tell them. He's trying to tell them listen, you will hear my voice. And y'all will be looking for the Father. And there's no Father because the Father is in him. That's what he's trying to tell them. Praise God. And it's amazing. He, he's telling them out of love, he's not arguing with them. He's saying to them, look, y'all are looking for the Father, but y'all are not understanding that. Y'all will be meeting Jesus for judgment, for healing, for deliverance, for everything. And then they will be shocked. So, he's trying to persuade them that they should not be confused with, with this man that they are seeing. Because he's not an ordinary man. He's the flesh and blood of Jehovah that they are seeing. But what is inside is the Father himself. Hallelujah. So when he's speaking to them when he's raising his hands when he's opening his mouth it's the father doing this. So they might as well fall down and worship him because they're worshiping the one God. God bless you. I'll leave it there and uh, thank you for the questions